And this morning, I want to go back to the book of Joshua, a book that I've spent quite a bit of time in in this church. Now, we finished uh, last year at the end of the year in Joshua, but I purposely left out a couple passages that I wanted to preach on it at a later date and time. And I want us to look at Joshua chapter 24, and we're really going to focus on a very familiar verse this morning. Joshua chapter 24, we're going to read verse number 15 this morning. It's a verse that many of us have memorized. Maybe we even have it in our homes, little sayings or placards or whatever on the wall. And it's a verse that is very impactful. It's been very impactful in my life, and I'm sure it's been impactful in your life as well. And at this stage in Joshua's life, he is, he is addressing the nation of Israel. He has, he has served God faithfully for upwards to 110 years. He has been faithful to God. He has seen God's faithfulness come true in his own life. And here he is addressing the nation of Israel and trying to address on the subject of renewal and keeping their heart right with God. But as I study this passage, and it's been used in probably Father's Day messages before, I can't help but think of a godly father. Because Joshua wasn't just one that led a nation. I believe Joshua was one that led his family in the truth of God's word. And I don't often do this, but I want to preach a Father's Day message this morning that's really applicable for all of us this morning. So if you stand, if you would. Joshua chapter 24, we're just going to read verse number 15 this morning and then jump in to the message this morning. The Bible says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, this is very important. Uh, the previous verses were talking about how there were a lot of different idol worshipers. There were a lot of different gods, little g, that some of the nation of Israel had fallen into because there were still other nations in Israel and Canaan land at that time. He says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want us to all read that last phrase together. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ready? Begin. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message that you've given me this week. And God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, we'll hit on that just a little bit in this message this morning. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we celebrate fathers this morning. I know there are a lot of fathers in here, a lot of dads in here, and a lot of, a lot of men that have, that have done their best to be faithful to their, to their wives, to be faithful to their children. I have a lot of great grandfathers in here that have tried to have been faithful to their grandchildren. But Lord, God, I pray that you'd help us to not necessarily look to an earthly example, but try to look to a heavenly example, our heavenly father, as the best father out there, the best example that we can follow after. And Lord, as we study this book for a few minutes this morning, God, I pray that you'd help us to see some very important decisions that Joshua made, I believe, in his family that he's trying to address the nation with, that he's trying to help them to see this morning. And, and God, I pray that these decisions that Joshua is trying to get across would be across in our lives as well today, and that we would take to heart the truths that we learn. Lord, we thank you so much for the great singing, the great music that we've had. God, I thank you so much for the great report that we had at youth camp this past week and the many decisions that were made. And God, I pray that those kids, those teens that went there would stay on fire for you. 
that they wouldn't just let it dwindle aside. And God, I pray that even if there's teens here today that are kind of on the fence and straddling back and forth with, with complacency, that they would get their heart right with God, that parents would get their heart right with God, that you would do amazing work in their lives. Lord, I pray that you just take this church to the next level. And Lord, I believe you are going to do it. Lord, I pray that you bless us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, the thing I've learned as a father, as a parent, is that our kids are watching us, right? Even though we don't necessarily see it, even though we don't necessarily um, maybe inspect it a lot of times, we understand that they are watching us. Came across this little poem we just want to start the message with this morning. When, I, when you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my first painting on the fridge, and I wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you feed a stray cat, and I thought it was a good idea to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make my favorite cake for me, and I knew that little things are special things. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you say a prayer, and I believed there is a God that I could always talk to. When you thought I wasn't looking, I felt you kiss me goodnight, and I felt loved. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears come from your eyes, and I learned that sometimes things hurt, but it's all right to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw that you cared and I wanted to be everything that I could be. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked and wanted to say thanks for all the things that I saw when you thought I wasn't looking. Our kids see what we do, what we say. It's one thing to, to just say something. It's another thing to live it out. And I want to challenge us this morning to not just say something good, but actually live out our faith. And again, we're going to look at the, the book of Joshua, and as he addresses this final address to the nation of Israel, his life is nearly over. He's on the precipice of death and very nearing seeing his heavenly father, but he challenges them to remember a few things that we need to remember as well. You know, I, I've looked around in our society today, and, and the truth is I'm very thankful for mothers. Mothers have a great impact on the home and raising raising kids, but there's been a lot of fathers that have neglected their responsibility. And really, when you study God's word, you see that the burden of raising spiritual children doesn't necessarily rest on the mom, it rests on the dad. The Bible says that fathers are not supposed to provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's the father's job to be the spiritual leader, the spiritual guide in the home but so often I've seen it, and I've struggled in my own life at times, that fathers aren't being the spiritual leader. That they're letting everything and everyone else determine how their children go and how their children act. It's the dad's responsibility to set the moral example in the home. It's the dad's responsibility to see to it that the word of God is honored and revered. And a lot of times, even today, instead of dads stepping up as dads, being the dad that they're supposed to be, they leave it up to the mom, or sometimes they even leave it up to the kids, and that's not a good thing. It's not up to your kids to decide what they want to do. That's why God puts you there, to be that spiritual guide for them. Joshua certainly understood the power of parents, and I believe as Joshua led this nation, Joshua wasn't just leading them and not leading his family. He was leading both. And as we come to verse 15, a very familiar passage, especially in the Old Testament. But as for me and my house, you see, Joshua is making a choice 
this day that he has made several days prior to this. He has made many years prior to this that this wasn't just something he's saying at the end of his life. Hey, right now I'm going to serve the Lord. No, no, no. I've already decided to serve the Lord. And in these verses preceding this verse, I find some key decisions that a godly father made in his own life and his own family. And the first decision I see that was made and the first decision that I want us to look at this morning, start reading in verse number one. The Bible says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for the judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Everyone came together. Verse number two, and I want you to take note in the next several verses of a personal pronoun, I. And Joshua said unto all the people, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So in a sense, he's reminding them of God, of what God has done. Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Even Abraham's father decided to serve idols, decided to serve someone that was not the true and living God. Verse number three, and I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood. Now this isn't Joshua saying I. This is reminding them of God. And I, God, took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau. And I, again, this is God, gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I, God, sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. You see a recurring theme so far? Verse 6, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side, Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came into Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. Verse 13, and I have given you a land for which you did not labor, cities which you built not, and you dwell in them of the vineyard and olive yards, which you planted not. Do you eat over and over and over in these 10 or 11 verses? What do we see? I, 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 I. And here's the first thing I want us to look at this morning. The first decision that a godly father makes, and it's the first decision that any of us should make. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Look, Joshua was a great leader. 
He was a great father, and as we see by the stand that he's going to take here in a few verses, he understands something very important that I've been trying to preach for months. It was not all about Joshua. Joshua was a great leader. He was a great man of God, but he realized that everything that happened in his life, everything that happened in the nation of Israel wasn't about Joshua, wasn't about Isaac, wasn't about Jacob, wasn't about Abraham or Moses or anyone. It was all about who? God. So church, can I remind you to remember God's faithfulness? Remember God's faithfulness. Our focus is not on what we can do. Our focus should be on who Christ is and what he's done for us. Look, God hasn't failed you in your past. He hasn't failed you in your present. And I guarantee you today, he will not fail you in your future. So fathers, remember this. Mothers, remember this. Teenagers, remember this. God is faithful, has been faithful will be faithful. Remember God's faithfulness. And as I study this great book, as I've studied it countless times, as I read this final chapter, this closing, all I can do is think of God's faithfulness. And all I can do in my own life is say this, thank you, God, for your faithfulness to me. Thank you for being faithful when I wasn't faithful. I know there's a lot of people that have struggled with that, being unfaithful, or someone in your household has been unfaithful to you, but God has not been unfaithful to you. So remember that. Look, God was faithful in Israel's life, in Israel's history. He was faithful when they were in Egypt. He was faithful when they got out of Egypt and wandered around in the wilderness. He was faithful when they crossed the raging Jordan. He was faithful as they were faced the impenetrable uh, fortress of Jericho. He was faithful even as Achan sinned and and caused the the entire nation to, to fall back. He was faithful when the sun stood still. He was faithful in driving out the giants. He's been faithful through it all. He'll always be faithful. Any progress, any growth, any maturity, any advance in the Christian life, understand this, has little to do with us and all to do with him. And I love so many verses in the Bible that talk about God's faithfulness, but the one that kept resonating in my heart and mind for the past two weeks, really, Lamentation chapter 3, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Look, we deserve far worse than what we get. I get tired of my own life and my own struggle where I, in a sense, think I deserve more than what I have. No, I deserve far less than what I have. And I've tried to counsel with many people that have that same attitude. I deserve more. No, you don't. You deserve far less. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail. And I'm thankful for his compassion, thankful for his mercy, thankful for his love and his grace. Verse 23, and I love this. They are new every morning. Aren't you glad that God's mercies don't run out the day before? I'm thankful for that. Because if it ran out the day before, man, I'd be a mess. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. I love how one commentator wrote about this passage in Lamentations. He said, this is another reason why the people of God are not consumed, since that never fails. God is faithful to himself cannot deny himself. He is faithful to his counsels and purposes, which shall truly be accomplished 
to his covenant and promises, which shall be fulfilled to his son, the surety and the savior of his people. God is faithful. I can't help but think of the songs that were sung this morning. A song that the choir sang. Never once did we ever walk alone. There's times where I felt like I was walking alone. There were times where I felt that God was abandoning me, but God hasn't abandoned me. You were faithful. God, you were faithful. Think of the song Michael just sang. I've seen you do it before. I've seen you move the mountains. God, do it again, and you will do it again. He will do it again because that's who God is. So as Joshua is addressing the nation, he's saying, hey, remember God's faithfulness. Look, there are people that aren't here today that have forgotten God's faithfulness because they're so focused on themselves, focused on their problems, focused on what they don't like. Forget about that. Focus on God. That hurt. (laughs) Remember God's faithfulness. I have to use my other hand today now. As a father, as a parent, as a child, as a Christian, I really need something softer up here. Someone make that happen for me. Kind of like a trampoline where it just bounces off, all right? As a father, as a parent, as a child, as a Christian, your interest should never be self-fulfilling. Your interest should never be self-serving. One of the best things any father could ever do is help remind their children of God's faithfulness. One of the best things you can do as a parent, as a grandparent, whoever, is to remind your family of God's faithfulness. Hey, God has been faithful, and this leads perfectly into the second point. Verse number 13, and I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, and vineyards and olive yards which you planted not. Second thing I want us to do is look at this. This second decision is to acknowledge God's blessings. Not only should we remember God's faithfulness, but secondly, we should acknowledge God's blessings. Joshua wants the people to never forget that they owed everything to God. Everything in your life you owe to God. Everything in your life you owe to God. Did you get that? Everything in your life you owe to God. It's easy to see how, how things are struggles, and, and we have a, a lot of struggles with different things in our lives. But after all that happened in Israel, the Israelite army had won many battles, and it was very easy for them to get prideful, just as it's very easy, easy for us to get prideful and think, man, I, I've done a lot. It's very easy to look at our lives and, man, I've done amazing things. Look at how great I am, and and I've been guilty of that at times. You've been guilty of that at times. Again, I've counseled with people that are very prideful and very guilty of that as well, but it's not about you. Has nothing to do with you. Has everything to do with God. So acknowledge God's blessings. It'd be very natural to start thinking, man, I'm something special. But that thought is very deadly. Joshua knew that once the people took credit for their victories, they would soon turn away from the Lord altogether, and that eventually did happen. So church, let me remind you to make another very important decision to not only remember God's faithfulness, but to acknowledge his blessings. We ought to do with our families what Joshua does with the people of Israel. It's a good thing to review past blessings because it's very easy for us to forget, right? All of a sudden, God does something in our life that we've been praying for. It's an amazing thing. We're excited. We're on fire for God. We're passionate about him. And then the next day, it's like, God's forgotten about me. God's not there. God's still there. He hasn't forgotten about you. 
Do you ever make records of God's blessings? That's one thing I, I struggle at. I, I try to make records in my memory, but my memory isn't that good at times. But do you ever just write down what God has done in your life? Fathers, have you ever written down the blessings that God has given you and your family? You know what we need to do with our children? I think there's times, doesn't matter what age they are, just sit down and, hey, sweetheart, do you remember when you, know, you were really sick and we prayed and asked God to help you? Ask God to heal you, and he did? Do you ever do that? Hey, you remember when um, you know, dad lost his job and we were afraid, didn't know how we were gonna get money, and we prayed, and God gave him a new job? Hey, you remember when we were praying for this person to get saved, and several months later, maybe several years later, they got saved? We can keep going on with that list, but do you ever do that? Do you ever just sit down with your family and, hey, do you remember when this happened, when we prayed for it and God saw us through and, and God gave us a great blessing, a great victory? If you don't, then why don't you? A good memory of God's blessing is a bulwark against backsliding. What I mean by bulwark is it's a defense. It's a wall. If we remember God's blessings and constantly remind ourselves of what God has done, it'll cause us and keep us from backsliding, from turning away from God. And I look around this morning, and I've looked around at our church the past few weeks and months, and I feel like there are some that are starting to backslide because I think they're forgetting what God has done. They're forgetting God's blessings. Well, obviously, he hasn't been showing up. I don't really like this that's going on. I don't really like that. Why are you focusing on yourself? Why are you focusing on your problems? Why don't you just remember who God is and what he's done? Has God blessed you this morning? Anyone? Has God blessed you? Then write it down. Remember it. Pass it on. Tell your family often what God has done. Look, there are so many of you that have stories of God's blessings. And we can go around the room right now. We're not going to. We can go around the room and just, hey, here's the mic. Can you just talk about the blessings of God? And, and you can just list them off and off and off and off and off and off and off. Are you saying that with your family or you just wait, you know, once or twice a year and we have that praise and testimony service? Write them down. Think about them often. Tell them. Don't leave it up to someone else to raise your kids. Do your God-given job. Even in the moments where you thought God has failed you, he was there. So remember that. Make a decision to acknowledge God's blessings, even when they don't appear to be a blessing. Whenever I speak of my son, Logan, and I try to speak of him often, even when I talk to strangers and even when they ask me how many kids I have, I, you know, I tell them about the kids that I have here on earth, Nate and Noah, but I also tell them the kids I have in heaven. A lot of times people's reaction is like, oh, I'm so sorry. And it is sad, but... I immediately just talk about God's goodness, about his faithfulness, because I'm sad, I'm sorrowful. I wish Logan were still here, but I'm thankful that God has been faithful through that situation. He's still faithful today. So I try to remind myself and I try to remind other people as well. At the end of your life, it's not about looking back and saying, look what I did. It's about looking back and saying, that's what God did. At the end of your life, you'll know that every blessing, every gift, every success came from the God who gave it to you. Look, I'm not that old, but I know right now in my life with a surety that everything I have is because of God. 
All the talents, all the abilities that he's given me has nothing to do with myself. No, I need to work at it and try to make it better, but everything I have is because of God. In a sense, like these verses are talking about, he gave me a land which I didn't labor, cities that I didn't build, a vineyard that I didn't plant. But despite me doing nothing, I get to enjoy God's provisions and blessings. And that's what God, or Joshua is saying to the Israelites. You really didn't do much. All you did was be obedient to God, and he gave you the land that was already there and cultivated for you. Everything was at your disposal. All you had to do was follow God. Friends, family, all we have to do is follow God. When you're faithful to God, this is important. He'll reward your faithfulness. And here's what it boils down to this morning. Everything we have and all that we are today, we owe to the grace of God. Decision number one, remember God's faithfulness. Decision number two, acknowledge God's blessing. Decision number three, verse number 14, we continue on. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. The third decision we must make this morning is to teach our family to worship. Teach your family to worship. We've talked a lot about worship in this church. And again, eventually I will preach more of an in-depth study and series on true biblical worship. But when you hear this phrase, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, when we think about fearing the Lord or fear of the Lord, many people get the idea of cringing in terror. But the biblical concept is much broader than that. Fearing the Lord means having such a deep respect for God that we want to praise him in all that we do. One writer says it this way. He refers to it as an inner devotion that causes us to honor God. Here's a great, great question. How do we share the inner devotion with our families? How do we share the inner devotion of what God has done in our life with our children, with our grandchildren? Do we share it with them? And I've heard this quote, family religion is better caught than taught. It's very important to teach it. Don't get me wrong. But if your kids don't see you living out God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's blessings, if they don't see you living out true, authentic, biblical Christianity, then why do you expect them to live it out? And that's why so many people and families and homes have fallen away from God because the parents are shoving it down their throats, but they're not living it out. Well, dad's not living that, so why should I live it? Mom's not living that, why should I live it? They talk about going to church, but they only come like, you know, once every three months. So why should it be important to me? You know, they, they say whatever they want. They drink whatever they want. They put whatever they want in their body. That kind of goes against what the preacher says at times. So why should I do that? It's better caught than taught. And Joshua puts it very plainly to them. Hey, serve the Lord with sincerity. Be committed to him. Try perfecting your walk with Christ. Don't be all wishy-washy. Don't serve God one day only to curse him the next day. Be genuine. And I've seen many people that have done that. I've seen many people's posts on Facebook where they're cursing God one day and the next day they're praising him. But Joshua gives a series of choices over the next couple of verses. He puts it plainly and he says this, you have to choose who or what you're going to worship. Fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, parents, teens, whoever is here today. You have to choose who or what you're going to worship. Worship is something that is deep within us. We are created to worship. The question is, what are we worshiping? 
Who are we worshiping? When God is not the priority, when God is not preeminent in our life, what we're doing is we're showing that worship belongs to something else and not God. And those that have kids especially today, when you don't make God the top priority in your home and your family, when you don't make church attendance the top priority, and just because you come to church doesn't mean you're faithful to God, and I get that, and sometimes I understand people miss it, and I get that too, but I fear sometimes people just miss because they just want to. What are you teaching your family? In this decision to teach our family to worship, there are several options that Josh presents. I'm going to go deeper into this in a series here in the future on these verses, but that's not today. Sadly, I've seen many fathers choose the wrong option. Look at this verse again, verse 14, and serve the Lord in sincerity and truth and put away the gods, the idols, which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Here's what Joshua tells them. Besides God, besides serving the true and living God, there are three other doors that you can choose. Door number one, follow the old gods, which are on the other side. This is talking about where you started out. Follow the gods you met in Egypt. This is talking about the place where you were enslaved. Follow the local gods. This is the people that you've recently defeated with some help from the true and living God. So you can choose to go ahead and follow the gods that they're serving, idols, or you can choose to serve and worship the true and living God. He says, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. The word serve is used six times in these verses, I believe. Look, nothing mattered to Joshua more than this. The people needed to choose to serve the Lord. True service doesn't pick and choose. I mean, the Lord has really helped me with that over the past several years. You know, I get very picky and choosy of how I want to serve and where I want to serve and what I want to serve. But true service to God doesn't say, oh, I'll serve here, but I won't serve here. Kind of like I mentioned on Wednesday, well, that's why we pay everyone else to do it, right? That's why we got staff members. No, that's not why we have staff members. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you're a member of this church, you should serve the Lord. It's your God-given duty. It's your God-given right. Well, it's not my job. It is your job. You don't understand what your job is. That's the problem with our churches today. That's the problem with American Christianity. We serve only when it's convenient for us to serve. But Joshua says, you serve the Lord. Choose today who you're going to serve, because if you don't serve the Lord, you're going to serve something else. You're going to serve some idol. And I'm, again, I'm going, to, I'm going to expound upon this in the future. I'm going to uh, preach a series of messages on this, and I can't wait to dig a little bit deeper into this. But the word translated sincerity is to be rendered perfection or perfectness. The Hebrew word signifying truth is derived from the idea of stability. That which can stand the rude shocks of inquiry. We can make an application for this phrase to mean in all faithfulness. You see, every area of your life must be surrendered to the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is no place for hidden rooms in our service and worship of Christ. There is no place for other gods or idols. There must be a putting aside of false gods, of false deities. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, he calls them dunghill deities because they have no power to save, only power to corrupt. 
When the parents truly fear God, their children will learn to fear him too. When they love God, their children will learn to love God too. When we sing songs of worship and praise to God in our homes, our children will learn to sing songs of praise and worship to God. When we pray, our children will learn to pray to God. I read of the famous painting uh, by Norman Rockwell. I think I have it. I'm going to put it up here on the screen today. It's this famous painting that was painted in 1959 and on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. In this picture, it shows a suburban family going off to church led by the oldest sister and the mom and the other next sister and, and then the little, the little boy. And we see dad sitting in his chair reading the paper. I know it's hard to kind of see, but he's got a cigarette in his mouth. Really, he doesn't care about the things of God. And you see the son, he's kind of looking at his dad. And I, I can kind of think about it this way, that that son is probably like, man, I'd rather stay with dad. He sees his dad and church isn't important to dad. So why should it be important to me? Sadly, that's what happens too often, whether it's dads or moms. If church isn't important to them, why should it be important to me? So dads, what are we doing? Moms, what are we doing? What are we teaching our children? What are we teaching that's most important in our lives? Again, I understand that there are times where you have to miss church. There are times when your job takes you away. But if your job is always taking you away from church and the things of God, then you probably have the wrong job. I'm talking about people that are never in church. I mean, I'm talking about people like six months that are never in church. That's probably the wrong job. Again, I, I understand that. I, I used to think differently. Well, if you're not in church, you're not faithful to God. Faithfulness to God doesn't just mean you have to be in church. It's so much deeper than that. And again, I, I get it. You know, God's given us a job and he's given us an opportunity to serve and, and help people and wherever that might be. And, and I'm thankful for that. But if you're always at a church, because sometimes there is a legitimate reason, but sometimes it's just an excuse, right? Well, I haven't been here in a while, so I might just as well not go again today. What are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching your grandkids? Men, when we learn that our actions, when will we learn that our actions speak louder than our words? Decision number one that Joshua puts out, remember God's faithfulness. Decision number two, acknowledge God's blessing. Decision number three, teach your family to worship in the fourth decision. Choose daily that your identity is in Christ. Look what he says in verse number 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. You have to make a choice. Whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But notice the last part of this verse. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Decision four, choose daily that your identity is in Christ. We spent a long time this year talking about identity. The world is struggling with their identity. There is an identity crisis in this land, and I've preached a lot about that. And I'll continue as the year progresses. But our identity is not found in who we are and what the world says about us. Our identity is found in what Jesus Christ says about us. Choose daily that your identity is in Christ. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter about the decision you made yesterday, although you will answer for them. Make the decision today to serve God, to choose God over self, to choose God over culture, to choose God over recreation, to choose God over whatever. I recently read of another pastor who, who had asked someone or someone came to him asking for advice regarding a spiritual struggle. And the person said to the pastor, he said, my, my Christian life is dry and dead. 
The pastor answered, you didn't get to where you were overnight and you won't get out of this mess overnight. You must begin each day by choosing to serve the Lord. And then you must follow up with that decision with several hundred small choices in the right direction. That's really what serving the Lord means. It doesn't, if it doesn't involve the nitty gritty choices you make every day, then you're still trying to straddle the fence. See, every day you have to make a choice to serve God. Well, I chose several years ago when I got saved. I chose to serve the Lord when we got married. No, no, every day you have to choose to serve the Lord. Because if you don't choose to serve the Lord today, all of a sudden you're gonna start falling off. And here's what it comes down to. First of all, we must personally decide to serve the Lord. Parents, you have the obligation to set the right example. Fathers, you have the highest obligation. You know, if it's true that the apple never falls far from the tree, then you and I better make sure the tree is healthy, right? Or else what kind of fruit will produce? I can't get over Joshua's boldness and tenacity as he gives this final message, this challenge to the people. Joshua not only influenced this nation, but he also influenced his household. And I want to make a quick application. We're done this morning. For good or bad, our influence always extends beyond our immediate surroundings. And there's a couple things that I see with Joshua's choice on this day. He says, but as for me, you see, first of all, this was a public choice. Joshua couldn't force the people to serve God. You know, there are times as a pastor where I wish I could force you to serve God, but that wouldn't do anything. You have to make the choice to serve God on your own. And Joshua made this choice in public, in front of everyone. Now, I've seen people that have made public choices. We just had youth get back from camp, and I've seen them come forward and make a public choice before, and then all of a sudden, they, they didn't live it out. Just because you make a public choice doesn't mean that's, that's great and everything is done. You have to continue to make the choice. But Joshua made a public choice that he had first and foremost probably made in private. Again, he couldn't force the people to serve God. He couldn't force the people to be committed to God. Neither can I force you to be committed to God. I can't force fathers today to do what you're supposed to do as a father. And this statement really is the culmination of a life that was lived in obedience to God and his word. There were times where Joshua failed God. There were times when he was discouraged, but Joshua had committed his life and followed the true and living God, even when others didn't. Remember back when they went to spy out the land of Canaan, when only he and one other person came back with a good report? You see, as I study Joshua's life, I see that that choice wasn't just made on the last day of his life. It was made long before that. In a sense, here's what he's saying. Look, I don't care what the rest of you do. I don't care how you live, and I don't mean this to say crass or, or wrong, but I can't control you. I can't control what you do. What I can control is myself and how my family is going to live. I can control how I'm going to lead my family. As for me, I've made the choice. It's not about posting on social media and living however we want. Look, some of the best decisions are made publicly, but they're made first and foremost privately. You see, there's going to come a time in our lives where if you follow Christ, then they're going to have to say, do what you want to friends and family. You know, I can't control you, can't control how you live. 
I wish I could. I wish I could help you, but if you don't want to serve the Lord, that's up to you, but my decision is made. And my decision is I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And there might be times in our life where we have to separate ourselves from friends and family because their choice isn't to serve the Lord. And their choices are going to lead us down. And that happens so often. Instead of bringing us up, it tears us down. This is a public choice. Second thing, this is a personal decision. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what your friends or even your family decides to do. You know, I've seen many people that as their family goes, they go. And I don't mean your immediate family. I don't mean moms and dads and your kids. I mean the whole family as a spectrum. And I'm all for family. Don't get me wrong. But if your family isn't serving God, then you don't have to follow them. You have to make the choice. I've been in church a long time, the 35 years that I've been alive, been in a pastor's home, and I've seen many family following their family outside of church because they got mad about something, didn't like what was going on, and instead of making a choice in their own life, a personal choice, they decided to let everyone else dictate what they were going to do. I'm sorry, but that's foolish. Make a personal choice that I'm not going to let friends or even family deter me from serving God. I wish everyone's family would serve God together, but I think of my own life. We have no family here. Our family is in Indiana, Florida, Colorado, California, New York, South Carolina. They're all over the map. But as for me and my house, my wife and I have made the choice, a personal choice, a personal decision that my family, our family... The four of us collectively aren't going to follow what our parents are doing, what our brothers and sisters are doing, what our cousins are doing, what our friends are doing. We're going to do what God wants us to do. I had to make a personal choice to leave my family and move to Colorado. I had to make a personal choice to leave Colorado, more family, and move to Texas where I have no family. And it's not about me, it's about God. So make a personal decision that I'm not gonna listen to everyone else. I'm gonna listen to God and do what God wants me to do. You know, I've seen, I go back to youth camp, I've seen many kids make a decision, man, I wanna serve God, I wanna be a preacher, I wanna be a missionary, I wanna be this or that. And the parents are like, no, 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 there's no money in that, you don't need to do that. Yep. Or what if God calls you away somewhere? We don't need to do that. The safest place is in the center of God's will, not where you're at right now. So make a personal decision. You must choose to serve the Lord. It won't happen by accident. It can't be inherited by your parents. They can give you the heritage, but at some point you must make it on your own. And my parents, I'm very thankful for my father, thankful for my mother, thankful for the, the godly instruction that they gave me and the help and the guidance that they gave me in my life. You know, my dad was asking the other day, asking me and my two sisters, <laughs> it was a very loaded question, but he said in a text message, he said, what are some mistakes I made as a dad? I told Amanda that. I was like, man, that's a dangerous question right there. <laughs> so I texted back in my sarcastic nature, and I said, two biggest mistakes you made was not letting me play AAU basketball and not giving me golf lessons. Two biggest mistakes you made then. I was joking, but I told him later, I said in, in a private text, and it wasn't against him. I said, I think the biggest struggle he had as a dad and as a pastor is the same struggle that I'm having in my own life is trying to balance ministry with family. Because there were times where I think ministry took the priority and the precedence over family and vice versa. And he did his best, I believe, and he did what God wanted him to do. But the thing is, we all have to make a personal choice. 
We have to make a personal decision. Third thing, quickly. It's a public choice. It's a personal decision, but it's a persuasive declaration. But as for me and my house, I got all the people together, and I'm telling you, as for me and my house, here's the choice. This most, it might be the most amazing statement that he says here. Here Joshua speaks as the God-appointed leader of his family. He claims the right to speak for his wife, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, even his servants. In a sense, as the leader of this clan, as the leader of this household, I hold the proxy in my hand. I hereby declare that my entire household will serve the true and living God. Every Christian man must make a similar choice, or you should make a similar choice. It's a persuasive declaration, finally. It's a positive statement. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is more than a statement about forsaking other gods, though that is implied. It means that Joshua's family will orient itself around the worship of God of Israel. God's law will be their law. His commandments will be their delight. His worship is their highest goal. His glory is their ultimate aim. And I look around today at families, and there's a lot of families that struggle with this. They leave the decision up to their children. Well, why don't you decide what you guys want to do? That's completely backwards of what the Bible tells us. Dad, be a dad. Mom, be a mom. Grandpa, grandma, be who God has called you to be. Well, my kids just don't want to go to church. My teens just don't want to go to church. I don't care. As long as they're in your home, you make them come. You set the example. You set the precedence that we're going to serve the Lord. You put that out there, and eventually they're going to see it, not just talked about, but lived out. Again, it's better caught than taught. So don't just teach it. Yeah, I want you to come to church, but then we're going to go and bash the pastor afterwards. It's like my dad used to always say, you know, it's not good to have roasted preacher for lunch. I don't know if you guys do that around here. I don't know if it's a Texas thing. It's kind of an Indiana thing at times, but... Make a personal choice, make a public decision, make a positive statement that we're going to serve the Lord. And, and I'm thankful that I was raised in a godly home. I'm thankful for the influence of my parents. I'm thankful that my dad was a pastor and still is a pastor. And my wife grew up in a pastor's home and very thankful for that. And Amanda and I were kind of talking about this the other day that, you know, it's a struggle for us when we look around at other people and like, why don't they get it? Not that we're any better, but why don't they get it? And I think it was either me or Amanda that made the comment that so many people don't allow God's word to be their guidebook. They don't allow God's word to be the basis of how they live their lives. Well, they use it at church or they you know, open it up every once in a while and read a devotion together, but they don't live based on what the word of God says. They base their lives on what the culture says. Well, this is how you raise your kids and there's nothing wrong with reading books, but if the book isn't directing you back to God's word, it's probably not a good book to read in the sense of raising a godly home. I'm not saying you can't read other books written by non-Christians, but if they're telling you to do something that's against the Bible and contrary to God's word, you should not do that. And I think so many people aren't living true biblical, authentic Christianity because they haven't allowed God's word to be their guide. I think of people right now that have gotten upset over the years, and I'm not just talking about here, I'm talking about over the years in my ministry and even in my dad's ministry that I've, I've seen and witnessed that have gotten upset about different things and they've had an attitude, they've, they've gotten all you know, messed up about things because they didn't allow God's word to be their guide. 
You have a problem with someone, go to that person and talk to them and try to reconcile it. But no, 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 what we do, we get everyone else with us. I got, I got to get an army with me and, and then we're going we're gonna to tear this person down. That's not biblical. Right. I don't care if the world does it. I don't care if they do it at your job. You don't do that. You try to reconcile things. You try to make things right as best you can. Bring God into the equation. Parents, fathers, mothers, show your kids that. Yeah. Show your kids what it means to serve the Lord in all sincerity, in all truth. The Bible should be your whole counsel that you live by, that you act by. Look, Joshua not only influenced his household, but he also motivated many others to serve the Lord. For good or bad, our influence always extends beyond our immediate surroundings. And as he closes, and really we'll continue this thought in the weeks to come probably, but there was no room for neutrality. Every person needs a God. Every person must serve the God that they choose and the God that you should serve is the true and living God. And what we see is four important decisions of a godly father. Remember God's faithfulness. Acknowledge God's blessings. Teach your family to worship. Choose daily that your identity is in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.